Welcome, you are listening to Living La Viva Voce. My name is Adam. My name is Meg. And this week we are talking about... Dinosaurs! Dinosaurs, yes. So the word that I was given this week was dinosaur, and uh, that's what I'm going to be speaking about. Meg is definitely not prepared for this presentation. I know literally nothing about it, other than it's about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And before we kick off, we should talk about what we've been drinking uh, so at the end of our season adam is gonna put together a clip show of our pre-game sessions because we want to get little a little buzz before we do this properly um and during that session what were you drinking adam so to be honest with you it was a it was a mix so last week last week was a mix this week's also a mix i <laughs> i started out on some red wine that i found in the fridge i feel like we need to describe this red wine Adam first decided, he was like, I think I'm going to drink wine this week. I was like, okay, sure. I've, I drank wine for the first two recordings, so that's going to be really lovely, like a, a bottle of red wine, sure. And he took a picture of it, and or, or he showed me over a video chat, and he was just like, is this expensive? Because I don't want to, like, disrupt this bottle. I could see it was already about half empty, or like, you know, like uh, like a third empty or something like that. And I was like... No, it looks like it's about like 20 Canadian, 20 US, something like that. It doesn't look too expensive, right? And I noticed it's, it's, it's been opened. And I was like, how long has that been opened and refrigerated? And he was like, three to four years. So I was like, so it doesn't matter how like good, quote unquote, or expensive, quote unquote, it is. Because now you're ostensibly drinking vinegar. <laughs> like, this is not a good bottle of wine. It is vinegar that has got me buzzed, though. Um, I have had to not cut it per se, but I have had I have had a shot of vodka as well to help me along, and I've had I've now mixed a half shot of vodka with some Robinsons, which, for the benefit of our uh, North American listeners, is a form of um, sort of juice that like you dilute with water normally. A cordial, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't have that a lot around here, but. Uh, what am I drinking? So I'm drinking this delightful yuzu and lime sake Collins by um, this distillery called Izumi. And they are uh, not only Toronto uh, based and they use a lot of like Ontario, you know, Toronto um, products, but we've actually uh, walked by their distillery. Um, we, we lived for three months near the distillery district in Toronto, which is where Izumi is and where Spirit of York is. So it's always nice to drink something close to home. Um, and obviously, as we know, I, I I love a lot of the things that the distillery district puts Very out. Nice. I love, I do really like the the spirit of York's vodka. I like the spirit of York gin. Um, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to being able to try the sake as well. I'm not a huge fan of sake per se. Um, yeah it's not bad though it's not bad and you know it does the trick but it does so very slowly which um has its has its faults (laughs) when we're trying to do something unsustainable like record this podcast well i will i will just finish by summarizing then the rules so the rules are pretty simple um meg sets me a keyword i do some research around that word i've got pretty broad discretion on it much like a phd would have on a on a on a topic not maybe so much discretion that they could just go on any topic whatsoever but but they have quite broad discretion sort of like their thesis title we then get really really drunk um and i think i'm sufficiently drunk i think you're sort of getting there i think you're probably i'll get there you're coming along and then i present what would be a phd defense so in a phd you write a thesis 
you present it to your supervisor and then your supervisor requires you to do an in-person defense in front of a panel that decide whether or not you deserve a PhD. Uh, this week, my panel is going to solely consist of <laughs> as, us- yeah, as usual. As usual. And I will present my thesis. What is slightly different to a PhD defense is that Ms. Shang does not know what I will be defending. Do, do, do. Which will be very exciting. Oh, and we're blindingly drunk. And or, and or will be blindingly drunk. Which Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah, that, that, is, that is probably one of the other major contrasts, right? Is, you know... Alcoholism normally sets in, in the postdoc yes, phase exactly. as opposed to the PhD phase. Anyway, I digress because I think it is time for us to get on with the main event. And that means I need to reveal the title of my thesis. All right, take it away. Are you ready for I this? am ready. I'm presenting to you for consideration for a PhD my thesis and defence entitled Are You Listening Yet? Dinosaurs, The Simpsons, Family Sitcoms, and Framing Progressive Politics in Relatable Sentiments. So, as you know, I was set the title, uh, I was set the keyword dinosaur. I have elected to do my thesis on Dinosaurs, the TV show. Now, That's so before I begin, lame. No. Before I begin, before I begin, may I ask, are you familiar with Dinosaurs, the TV I'm show? I'm not. You are going to need to do some contextual... Uh... Okay, so um, you're going to love this. Dinosaurs the TV show was created by the Jim Henson Company. Oh, good. Okay. It was created in 1991. It was the brainchild of Jim Henson, but unfortunately never actually got lived to see it be produced. Sorry, can I just say, I thought the Muppets was the brainchild of Jim Henson. The Muppets was the brainchild, so was Sesame Street, but this was one of the brainchildren. <laughs> okay, this one of the brainchildren, not one of the brainchildren. One of the, one of the brainchildren, <laughs> yes. Well, okay, but, but in the context of talking about the dinosaurs, or dinosaurs rather, uh, it was the brainchild of Jim Henson. And you're in for a wild ride now, because dinosaurs broke a lot of boundaries and we're about to talk about something that i really love tv so this is something that's that's really close to my heart and i've got to admit until i start doing some research on this topic i actually did not know this was even a thing and i'm blown away by what i found out about i've actually watched a few episodes before we started recording so that i've got some contextual information i sort of understand the, the show itself so dinosaurs Dinosaurs is a TV show about a family of dinosaurs headed by the patriarch Earl uh, Sneed Sinclair with wife Fran Sinclair, who is played by Jessica Walters, who obviously recently passed away. Jessica Walters obviously was most famous for playing uh, Lucille Bluth in Arrested Development, but was without a doubt a like iconic female comedian in in a lot of series and i won't forget her as mallory archer in 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 obviously archer the tv series which i think is an absolutely hilarious tv series they have three children they have robbie they have charlene and they have baby sinclair so to clarify these are dinosaurs these are all dinosaurs they're all dinosaurs and so yes so this show was made in 1991 and the reason i want to link this to the simpsons is because actually when it was originally sort of proposed, it was rejected by the company. It was rejected by Buena Vista. Buena Vista is a division of the Disney company, the Walt Disney Company. Then The Simpsons came along in 1989, and all of a sudden family sitcoms were proven, right? You know, the idea of doing a family sitcom before The Simpsons was crazy, right? Like, there were sitcoms, and to an extent there were even, to an extent, family sitcoms. But The Simpsons truly said, look, 
you can make a family sitcom that is subversive, that is daring, that is funny for kids, funny for adults, and funny for all ages in between, and really create a shared viewing experience, okay? And, and obviously, Dinosaurs was actually a very similar concept. So in 1991, it was commissioned originally for CBS. And I want to, I want to mention this, obviously, because what I'm talking about here is progressive politics in the context of the family sitcom. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with other CBS programming, but obviously CBS is probably most iconic franchise, I, I would dare say, is Star Trek. Okay. And obviously, Star Trek has a long history of sort of progressive sentiment, progressive politics, very egalitarian values, yeah, right? Sure. You know, obviously, famously, the original Star Trek com com contained not only this multiracial crew, which was very significant at the time, but also the first Russian crew member. And you've got to bear in mind that, that Star Trek, the original Star Trek series, was made at a time of you know, heightened Cold War tensions, uh -huh. you know, like there was a really strong anti-Russian sentiment. So for them to put a Russian actor front and centre of this series, right, like, you know, with, with, with Chekhov, right, you know, was a sort of a really bold move and, and it w was actually very fitting for the CBS sort of programming at the time to make these kind of daring things. And obviously CBS also produced stuff like The Twilight Zone, which was obviously very famous for, you know, doing very progressive and it was very Black Mirror-ish in this sort of anthology what if sense yeah but but with star trek you could argue that you know they are a family of sorts but i would say that with star trek and with the twilight zone they are not you know family sitcoms in in, in any kind of way no, right but i want to what i'm trying to say more than anything is is that this the dinosaurs very much fits into <laughs> cbs's progressive narrative within its storytelling sure right and something that actually fox as strangely enough as a as a as a production company does a lot of right you know fox productions are very progressive they're very liberally oriented for for a for a company that's obviously most famous for producing a hyper conservative news show right but actually it never aired on cbs okay it was made for cbs and then it ended up going on to abc which at the time was not owned by disney abc is now owned by disney but at the time wasn't wasn't owned by Disney, but still it was it was produced by by the Jim Henson Company. It was part to it was part to ABC, but it kept this really liberal streak, right? So the reason I want to say well, the reason I want to talk about dinosaurs is because actually it was insanely liberal. Okay, can I, it was? Can I just say I'm yeah. I'm surprised that you are taking this kind of side because from what you are telling me, right, with with dinosaurs, let me just say. With someone like Earl and who, what's the what's the lady dinosaur called? Francine or Francis? Fran. Fran. Okay, Earl, Fran, Robbie, Charlene, and Baby Saint Clair. That, that that seems like a very like middle like suburban like middle America suburban white picket fence. Like dad goes to work, mom stays at home. You know, two and a half kids, three kids. And it is. You know, it 100 and, and it is. seems That's like and it premise. seems like the only difference is that instead of being humans, they're dinosaurs. And presumably, this is is this set kind of in like the Paleolithic era, right? And it's not set yeah. in like 1980s Iowa. Why are they called Sinclair then? 
Okay, sure. Do you know where Sinclair comes from? Where does it come from? All of the dinosaurs' surnames okay. and some of the dinosaurs' first names in this show are named after oil companies. That, oh my god! Oh my god! Okay, can I just say I know nothing about dinosaurs? I've only heard about dinosaurs like maybe you know like two or three times throughout my life. Just kind of like culturally, you know, like cultural osmosis. You kind of just you know get that absorbed. You hear it in passing and all of that kind of stuff. I had no idea that's the case. That's crazy. It's not just like Flintstones. It's not just like hey bedrock whatever it takes a very like this show has been openly developed from the ground up and i want to make this case both for both for um dinosaurs but also for the simpsons and i i realize that in 2020 maybe the simpsons is starting to age right i realize you know with stuff like a poo and stuff like that there's definitely cultural sensitivities that the simpsons didn't need to be aware of in the 90s that they need much more to be aware of in the 2020s right so Sinclair is an oil company. The grandmother of the family, Ethel, is named after an oil company. The boss of the work site upon which Earl, um, Earl Sinclair works is called BP sure. uh, Rich, Richfield. Yeah. So BP, obviously, British Petroleum. Richfield, also an oil company, right? So there's very much been this design from the ground up of a very liberal, very political show, right? And bear in mind that D- Dinosaurs has been broadcast predominantly on the Disney Channel now. So it's very much targeted at a sort of young adult audience. I'm talking, you know, 14 up-ish, right? That's the sort of appropriate demographic of it. There's definitely humour in it for like 10-year-olds and stuff like that. There's a lot of sort of silly sight gags and stuff like this that 10-year-olds love, right? Uh, there's this one scene in the first, oh, sorry, in the second episode I watched, which... Um, basically involved um, the baby dinosaur not understanding that it was biting on its own tail, just kept biting on its own tail and getting into a lot of pain, and it tried to stab it with a fork. And it was very, like, very like cartoon slapstick humour. But there's a lot of really subtle underlying political references. And one of the first ones, one of the most noticeable ones, immediately from like the opening was, so the, the very first episode opens on setting up this family, right? and setting up Earl Sinclair as this breadwinner, setting up Fran Sinclair as this traditional stay-at-home mum. Very Simpsons-esque, right? 2.5 kids, as you've already pointed out, right? Earl works on a construction site. He's a tree pusher, so he pushes over trees. That's really sweet. <laughs> That's really cute. But, and, and this is where it really does pull on those very similar Simpsons thing. And if you've watched any of other any other Matt Groening work, you'll notice this in Futurama 2. You'll notice this in Disenchantment, which personally is one of my favourite Matt Groening works. I know it's probably not his best, but I still think it's absolutely fantastic. I think it's brilliantly creative. I think it's beautifully illustrated. But the very first opening shot on this building site that he's on is it, it opens on this... Um, sort of sign outside the building site that says um and i'm gonna i'm just gonna read this quickly this redwood forest is uh to be removed for ten thousand unit tract housing and obviously you know you gotta bear in mind like this was written by writers who are presumably built uh, based in like the pacific region of the u.s right and you know building tract housing on top of redwood forests was and probably actually to an extent still is massive, right? You know, we tear down these these redwood forests and we put up all of these houses, right? And and can I just say, you know, the the way that, you know, Sinclair and Ethel and BP Richfield, the way that they're 
dinosaurs that are named after oil companies. It kind of reminds me of, I forgot the name of the creator of Bojack Horseman, but the yep. one of the... Uh, Bob Waps- Waxberg. Yeah, well, one of the reasons why, you know, um, one of the reasons why the creator chose to make kind of this weird universe where humans and animals like could just speak and interact is is partly because that he is vegan and he wanted to convey this kind of like you know humans and and other like non-human animals can kind of like live together and and have conflict and have like these emotional bonds right and this kind of like what you eat like this is like kind of the uh like fit like imagination this like the kind of potential of what they could be and this almost kind of reminds me of that in that like these dinosaurs are like you know this is what you're driving right and like if this was when was this made like the 80s or 90s or something like that no this was made 1991 to 1994 yeah well you know you at this kind of period of time in america you're having these gigantic oil crises right Mm -hmm. so so it is one of those things where it's like you know america still has this huge car culture but it's like this is what you're driving right you're driving this kind of you know you're Mm -hmm. driving these dinosaurs that's really interesting i'm gonna come on to that i'm gonna come on to that so I want to go back briefly to the names thing because I brought up the names thing maybe a little bit prematurely into my into my talk. But actually, this is something that isn't unique even to dinosaurs. So do you know Marge Simpson's maiden name? No. Uh, so her name, her maiden name is Marge Bouvier. Okay. The reason she's called Marge Bouvier is because she's named after Jackie Kennedy. Okay. Yeah. Who was famously Jackie Bouvier, right? And... I haven't been able to substantiate this particular piece. I will, I will, I'm, I'm going to provide some more evidence in a second. But the reason that Homer is named Homer is because he's named after Bobby Kennedy. Okay. okay. <laughs> Famously, Robert F. Yeah, Kennedy. Yeah, yeah, the guy who got assassinated. Who, no, that's John F. Kennedy. No, but wasn't there another Kennedy that was Rob, Yeah, yeah, Robert F. Kennedy was also yeah, assassinated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't want there to be a confusion. It's not the president that yeah, I'm yeah, talking sure. about now. I'm talking about Robert F. Kennedy, who went by the name of Homer. Okay. And the reason that they created this is because there was supposedly all of this belief that actually Jackie Kennedy was having an affair with uh, Robert F. Kennedy, and that was why they've created the Simpsons as being, you know, Homer and Marge Simpson. Now, I haven't been able to substantiate that specifically, but what I have been able to substantiate is that Mar- Marge Simpson's mother is called Jacqueline, ja- Jacqueline and she goes by Jacqueline Bouvier, yeah, sure. who, and, and I have substantiated this, I have looked this up, and, and it is on the record that Matt Groening did name her after Jackie Kennedy. So there's definitely, you know, there's this tradition in dinosaurs but in in broader family sitcoms for the names to have deeper meanings than than the initial thing that they were they were intended to obviously bart um i don't know if you know this bart is an anagram for brat and that was why they chose the name for bart dinosaurs as well also had this very sort of similar tradition to the simpsons and to you know family sitcoms that have since come after it of breaking the fourth wall, right? So one of the sort of opening tropes uh, or the opening jokes of the of the very first episode even, this is the pilot episode, you know, obviously with any pilot episode, you naturally have to establish your family unit, right? And and The Simpsons does this really well. And, and you know, famously, obviously, you know, Futurama does this quite well. You know, there's, a, there's this tradition that you sort of need to set up the unit, right? And they introduce Robbie, who 
Despite being the eldest child, and this is something slightly different from The Simpsons, famously in The Simpsons, Lisa is the hyper-intellectual, right? She's the counterculturalist. She's the one that is truly the progressive, right? And I think this is the thing. In order to build these kind of patriarchal family units that are built around this idea of, like, there being a breadwinner, there being a stay-at-home mum, there being, you know, three children, you have to have one who is ultimately the progressive. And even when you think about something like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the fundamental principle of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as a family unit is, is that Will Smith is the progressive in that, right? Definitely in terms of, like political viewpoints in terms of her, his social politics and stuff like that right i think with lisa simpson you get this very intellectual progressive and what i think is really interesting about this tv show is they've opted to make the eldest child the progressive which is actually very unusual right you know, they tip you typically see in a lot of these family sitcoms is that it's the middle child that ends up becoming the progressive one in it right you know the eldest child typically has either a bit of a ditzy streak or a bit of a stupid streak like bart simpson or like hillary uh hillary in, in fresh prince you know they naturally have like a slightly sort of ditzier streak slightly stupider streak whatever right and then it's the middle child. But no, they've, they've opted to make Robbie the sort of intellectual of this. One of my favourite things is in the opening episode, he has this joke where he goes, if the year is 60 billion and three, why is ne- next year 60 billion and two? What are God. we counting down to? Gosh. And it's very fourth wall breaking. Yes. It's very profound. Yeah. You know, oh, it's great. That's dark. There's this... Um, Great trope um, at the very end of the se- the first season where they have to do a clip show, obviously. And obviously, you know, if you've watched any of the earlier Simpsons episodes, you'll see how much they've shunned clip shows, right? And and they, they you know, they frequently make jokes about how it's a clip show and how, you know, all this. and in the, first, in the first season, the way they do their clip show is they open on a human, right, who's actually... A professor of like paleo uh, paleo paleontology at Oxford University, and he essentially presents like this mockumentary, but they keep on cutting to clips of dinosaurs, right? So it's this very like we're gonna do this, but we're not gonna do it willingly, right? It's very. And you, know, you see this in stuff like 30 Rock as well. And we've obviously been watching 30 Rock recently. Mm-hmm. 30 Rock is this you know, great show that's really good at satirising TV production. But I think you really do get this bleed through into like the family sitcoms of The Simpsons. The family sitcom Dinosaurs as well is this sort of like, we're really going to take the mick out of, of, of how we have to produce this show. Yeah. So... I want to talk now about one of the episodes that I got a chance to watch. Can I just ask how many, okay, how long is Dinosaurs, how long did Dinosaurs run for and how much of it did you watch? Like what What okay. was your scope of research? This is an excellent question. Okay, Dinosaurs ran for four seasons. Yeah, that's not bad. Which isn't bad. Do you want to know something that's buck wild though? Sure. They cost a million dollars an episode. Can I say, what did it look like? This is also something you haven't described yet. Was it like cartoon? Was it like... So actually, Dinosaurs is puppet-based, much like all of the Jim Henson. It's also got animatronics in it. So if you want an aesthetic uh, frame of reference, think Fraggle Rock. Okay, yeah. If you're familiar with Fraggle Rock. It's obviously a little bit aged now from a modern perspective, right? But it's very 
cartoonish, but it's obviously all been shot on a on a soundstage. Okay, so I'm looking at pictures of Google on Google Images right now, and this is like horrifying. Baby St. Clair makes me want to die. But yo, know, the eyes blink everything, yeah. right? It's very when you actually watch it, it's actually very well produced. Okay. Right? Like you don't feel like you're watching a man in a in like a like a costume. You do feel like you're kind of watching these characters, right? It's not and that's a that's a hard thing to do. I think I don't think people appreciate in TV production how hard it is to manage to break the uncanny valley right this is a really this is the really challenging thing for animators right is they've got this challenge of if we do something like the simpsons where we're not looking to go realistic we're looking to go stylized we've got like yellow skin you know the facial features don't make any sense you know the skulls are a lot more stretched out all of these kind of things how do you anthropomorphize them right yeah how do you how do you make people look at someone like marge simpson how do you make them look at someone like homer simpson and feel empathy feel emotion support them dislike them agree with them all of these kind of things that's a really hard thing for tv shows to do so i think it's very impressive for the simpsons i think it's even more impressive for dinosaurs to do this because they've had to anthropomorphize dinosaurs yeah of course which are you know it's not like anthropomorphizing monkeys or something right that have a natural anthropomorphic structure you know dinosaurs are a hard thing to like feel like you're related to so they've done a really good job on this i think and how much of this did you watch? So I've watched three episodes. Okay. There are a lot more, obviously, but I, I've, I've, I've basically skimmed highlights of the episodes because I was really interested in the overall arching political sort of thesis in this. So the episode that I did watch is an episode... Uh, well, obviously I watched more episodes in this, but I, the, the episode that I want to talk about now is an episode called I Never Ate for My Father, and it's in the first season. And I think this is ep- excellent. I do think this is a really great episode. I really enjoyed watching this episode. It's on Disney+. Plus. Not that I'm trying to sell Disney+, Plus or anything. Disney+, Plus, if you're listening, we're open to affiliations. We're open to subscriptions. We're open to affiliations and partnerships. But it is on Disney+, Plus because obviously it was produced by Buena Vista, which is a subsidiary of, of Disney. And essentially it focuses on Robbie, who is part of uh, the YMCA, which is the Young Males Carnivore Association. And sort of his dad, Earl, has sort of like waiting for him to complete this like initiation rite, which is to kill something lower on the food chain and eat it. Okay. Right? Yeah. But whilst Robbie is at this sort of event, at this like rite of passage, he baths, he throws up, and he chickens out. Walking home with his friend, they... They go, have you ever thought that maybe you're a herbivore? <laughs> and, you know, this is obviously, you know, it's obviously a metaphor for a number of things, actually. And throughout the show, it actually serves as a metaphor for a number of things. Obviously, initially, it's a metaphor for homosexuality, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, so the friend then goes, well, I'm a herbivore. You know, like, I don't eat meat. Um, You can tell that there's this underlying reference to homosexuality. And I think this is a cracking line because kids would would not get this. But this is the kind of humour that I think is really subversive in like children's TV shows. uh, Not in children's TV shows, but in in TV shows that are targeted across families. It's something that adults would get to. I remember when I was initiated down the Y, 
made quite a meat eater out of me. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, the YMCA, like, there is this, like, long, long association, you know. With With homosexuality, you know, with, like, male um, homoeroticism, right? Especially in the 80s and 90s, yeah. Yeah. When they, when, so when, when, and, and this is the opening line, right? So they're talking about Robbie's initiation ceremony and, and Earl is going to Fran, yeah, I remember when I was initiated down the Y, made quite a meaty threat. I mean, I was like, wow, that is, you know, this is, this is the kind of like liberal 90s, like, it then goes on though, it makes references to stuff like communism as well. So, so Earl goes immediately after finding out that Robbie chickened out of, of eating this meat. He's at, they're sat at the dinner table and Earl goes, we have the green menace living under our, ro- uh, under our roof. Yeah. Obviously, that's a reference to obviously the red menace, which is a reference to communism, all of this. It then goes on to drug use even, actually. They, you know, he, he sends Robbie to his room. Uh, they go in after him a couple of minutes later. Robbie's fled out of the window, so they decide to search his room. They search his room. They find a bag with a broccoli in it. Sure. <laughs> and you know, obviously, it's like a reference to like marijuana usage and drug culture, right? And obviously, like the war on drugs, which was obviously at its height in the nineties. Yeah, I think really just exploring the kind of pervasive fear mongering um, sentiments of mm-hmm. suburbia, right? Of like eighties, nineties suburbia. So it gets better. It does. It gets much better. And I really recommend if you're listening to this to go and look up this scene. They um, cut to Robbie, who's at the salad bar, which is obviously because he's a herbivore. And they've obviously got this dinosaur that is completely based on Bob Dylan. And he's he's singing all of these countercultural songs. So this 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 episode then progresses onwards, and I think this is really great. Is is that they get to the end, and essentially it sort of results in them going off into the forest to hunt for an animal for Robbie to eat, and then Robbie gets eaten by Robbie a. Gets uh, eat. Hang on, is this the death of Robbie in season by one? A for, by a forest monster, and then. Earl goes home and is like, oh, Robbie's been eaten, it's tragic, he's really upset, all of this kind of stuff. Fran is like, you're going in there and you're going to get Robbie back. Sends, sends Earl into the, into the mouth of this monster. And inside the monster, they're like, oh, um, you know, like, you never listen to me, you never agree with my opinions, you know, all of these kind of things. So Earl's like, yeah, you never listen to me, you never... You're, why won't you just do as I tell you to do? Blah, 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 blah. And then there's this sort of real epiphany moment where Earl comes to appreciate that actually he disagreed with his father. His father was always wrong. I think it's really interesting because when they talk about Earl's father, Earl's father, they so basically he describes his family interaction. Basically, Earl's father had Earl with his mother and then ate his mother. Oh because gosh. they lived, because they lived in the woods, and you know, yeah. it was what dinosaurs did. But as it's their this mate. very like and, toxic masculine, like. Well, it's of... this notion that obviously every generation of males has been progressively more involved, right? Yeah. For example, I know that my dad was a lot more involved than his dad, and yeah. I know that my dad's dad was a lot more involved in my dad's childhood than his dad, right? So there's definitely, you know, this indication of progress, but I think what's really clever is obviously it's showing that what we considered archaic now was not archaic, was, was like normal then, and they had another notion of archaicness. And this is an argument I have with my father all of the time. 
Yeah. You know, this is something I really relate to. And this is why I really want to talk about how relatable these shows are. And I think that's a message that is both relatable to the children that are watching as well as mm-hmm. to the parents, right? Because, you know, yeah. it's, if it's a family sitcom, then the kind of exactly. messages you want to be sending is about the family. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, so there's this notion of, obviously, I never agreed with my father and now you're not agreeing with me. And then, obviously, there's this joke, I can't wait for you to have kids so your kids don't agree with you. And I think this is really interesting. I think it shows the generational differences in political views. And I think that's very aware for a sitcom, particularly for a sitcom targeted at this age group. I now want to talk about the final episode. Okay, that you watched. No, the final episode ever. Okay, Of dinosaurs. Okay. Of dinosaurs. So this is season four. They recorded it on season four in anticipation that the show might get cancelled. Apparently, the final episode of Dinosaurs was planned from the very beginning. And to be clear, I'd like to enter into evidence the choice of names, stuff like that, to really support this case, right? I'm going to describe to you the plot of the final episode. So the plot of the final episode begins, a swarm of beetles that normally eat what are known as creeper vines don't show up as expected. It turns out that the Beatles did not show up because We Say So Corporation, which is the corporation that Earl works for, We Say So, built a wax fruit factory on their natural breeding ground, causing the extinction of this Beatles species. Okay. Okay. Fearing a public relations backlash, We Say So Corp puts Earl in charge of an effort to destroy the vines. Earl suggests spraying the planet with defoliant, which will kill all plant life. Oh my god. I see where this is going. Holy crap. BP Richfield, an executive at We Say So, agrees and assumes that cloud coverage will bring rain, which causes the plants to grow back naturally. Yeah. In an effort to encourage this, BP Richfield bombs volcanoes on the planet. Oh my god. In order to cause clouds to form eru- uh, from the eruptions. Yeah. The clouds instead cause global cooling. Snowpiercer, right? Yeah, no, or or you know, or the ice age. <laughs> I mean, you could reference and something more. Won't disappear for ten thousand years yeah. or so. So Earl calls BP Richfield. BP says this is a fourth quarter problem because we say so is making a bunch of money selling blankets, heaters, yeah. cocoa. Oh my god! Earl apologizes to his family for ending the world as they watch DNN. This is so dark. What the hell? With Howard Hands Up Me. Yeah. Okay. That's the name of the news anchor, Howard's Hand Up Me. He concludes his broadcast by saying, this is Howard Hand Up Me. Good night and goodbye. The ending credits roll with the scene of snow falling around the Sinclair home, signalling the start of a volcanic winter. That is so dark. That is so dark. That's the last episode in the entire show. Yeah. You know, you really do get this climate message. Yeah. Right? There, there's this fundamental climate message built into dinosaurs, right? Um, about how there is no corporate responsibility. There is no corporate morality. They're, they're myths. You yeah. know, they're fundamentally myths. And I think it's groundbreaking because it's groundbreaking that someone like Disney, someone like ABC broadcast this. In 1994, the height of neoliberalism. Bear in mind, this was post-Reagan, pre-Blair. 
This mm-hmm. was when neoliberalism, where capitalism is good, free yeah. market economics is good, corporations can be a force for good, yeah. was at its height. No one was thinking corporations are busting unions, corporations are toxifying the planet, all of these things. This was a progressive, hyper-liberal message to be sending in 1994. That's also crazy because I'm just thinking of like a show you know like the simpsons or like family guy american dad you know uh, whatever no. like cleveland brown or whatever that's called like there are so many of these um sort of these kind of family sitcoms whatever that are running these days i cannot imagine them ending with a nuclear winter that is such a like definitively apocalyptic pronouncement of like the end of this family like the end of this society and i think i think it's quite frank because obviously you know the show's creators knew that they had to address the fact that dinosaurs aren't around anymore right well exactly also it makes me think of the way when you brought up you know how um robbie at the beginning of this the show was like what are we counting down to? Like, there's something so, like, fatalistic about this. Yeah. Well, it's the fact that, you know, if you're going to have these dinosaurs working for these, like, you know, living in these, like, fake um, suburban, like, you know, completely artificially constructed neighborhoods, and you're going to have this dad working for this corporation, like, when the sun is like, what are we counting down to? They're counting down to this inevitable end. Like, that's so dark. It's oh my very God. dark. It's very that's dark. so yeah. dark. And that's the last episode. Wow. They never made another one. That's dinosaurs. Damn. I'm going to have to watch dinosaurs. Damn. See, like, I, I, I don't know. You've sold me on this TV show, for sure. I... Okay, I just want to. So I want to. I want to bring this home now. I want to bring okay. this into. I want to bring it. this train into the station. So to okay, speak. go for it. As is probably clear by now to our listeners, and I know it's almost certainly clear to you, I love the family sitcom thing. I th- I think it's true. I think, I think since the Simpsons proved it as a concept, and the Simpsons proved it as a concept, I I defy anyone to prove me wrong. For all of its faults, for all of its flaws, it was the Simpsons that said. We can make a sitcom about a family unit, whatever that family unit may be. It might be your nuclear family. It might be the family that we see in modern family nowadays. You know, we can make a family unit and we can explore complex social issues through them. And fundamentally, family dynamics allow us to frame complex social issues, which I don't think any one individual has a say over, right? No one individual has a say over gay rights. No one individual has a say over drug policy. No one individual has a say over ecological policy, right? You know, we are collectively responsible for that. At an individual level and as, as groups and as, as, as people, as a, as, a, as a population, as a society. So I think what family sitcoms do really well and the reason that you do get these remarkably liberal, progressive politics underpinning them is that they create a point of reference that makes these politics relatable. It's no longer the planet is dying, how does this affect me? I live yeah. in a verdant greenery. You know, yeah. Not to not to be one of those people, but I live in the south of England. I'm not 
at the epicenter of econo- ecological climate change. My home, not yet. Yeah, my, yeah. Uh, but even where I live in, in England, I don't get affected mm-hmm. by the ecological impacts of climate change. I don't get affected by flooding. Yeah. I don't get affected by anything. I don't get affected by really cold snaps in the winter because I don't live that far up north. I don't yeah. get. I don't live on a floodplain, so I don't naturally get flooded. So it makes it creates this fundamental point of reference, which makes the show uh, makes the politics relatable. And I think you know the meteoric success of The Simpsons. I think the genius of dinosaurs. Meteoric, meteoric. Yeah, dark. (laughs) That was not intentional. But no, The Simpsons is obviously hugely successful, right? And if you watch the first probably ten seasons, it is crazy subversive, right? Mm -hmm. It's dark. It's witty. There's a lot of underlying humour there. There's a lot of exploring the family condition. But there's also a lot of exploring the family condition in the context of wider international and national politics. But I think it creates this platform which we can all identify with. Even in the like traditional patriarchal structure of the family that we're looking at, right? Like dinosaurs is ostensibly looking at a white suburban family right i'm not i I realize that we're talking about dinosaurs here but we're fundamentally talking about you know a working class but dominant ethnic group and dinosaurs does explore ethnicity this i do want to emphasize here so cave people in dinosaurs are representative are representative of indigenous populations in the u.s oh my god and okay. there's a lot of narratives there around, like, the marginalisation of them, about, you know, how they're, you, they're, you know, they're subjugated, essentially. Um, and I haven't had a chance to watch those episodes, so I won't talk to them too much. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is, is that even through this fundamentally traditional structure, they've created a channel through which progressive politics can be discussed and framed in such a way that makes it understandable and relatable to people whom these policies do not benefit directly that is fundamentally important because the rise of donald trump the rise of a lot of these populist politicians is as a result of and and it's a cliche to say this but a disconnect between liberal politicians and the working class and we talk about the liberal elite we talk about all of this ridiculous garbage right and and whether or not you agree with the concept of a liberal elite doesn't hugely matter what i'm trying to say more than anything is that the simpsons dinosaurs and many of these other family sitcoms provide a potential vessel for the delivery of better social cohesion and it's important that we look back at them and we listen to them because the messages in dinosaurs are as profound today as they were 30 years ago and the messages in the simpsons 30 years ago are as profound today as they were 30 years ago and so i conclude my talk are you listening yet wow i think that was incredibly incredibly potent right like i'm also just thinking about how you know the like the show dinosaurs didn't have a particularly long um running time you know in comparison to shows like the simpsons which you know 
I I like The Simpsons. I kind of like it because you like it. I don't I don't actively go out to watch it myself. Like I think it's okay, but like I think like the show itself is just so incredibly long. And I think there is something really ironic and potent that a show about a species that has seemingly lived for millions and millions of years has taken place over four like human years, <laughs> and then and then like not only ended with the possibility of them reviving the show but ended with an apocalypse yeah. right there like it ends not only with the story of this one family the saint Clair's end but it ends with presumably the end of like you know themselves their friends like all of these kinds of issues that they've explored with there's something so scary about like I'm, I'm just thinking about it in comparison to what you told me about the ymca like the carnivore association and you know um, you know Earl and Robbie having these like father to son heart to hearts and stuff like that and it kind of puts into perspective the importance of like ecological awareness and the importance of like these huge issues that are looming over that have the ability to just to literally blanket and and cover all of these other issues that this show has explored like that's crazy but no it's more than that as well right because i think ecological disaster shows the movies have been around for eons i think they're cheap i think they're easy right it's very easy to create a movie like 2012 right you, you we've all seen 2012 the uh joan cusack as a dad who's a chauffeur who tries to save his family and get them onto an ark because the world is flooding right but what 2012 doesn't address is that fundamentally the thing destroying our planet and this might not be a popular opinion in a capitalist society is corporations yeah it is corporate greed it is unnecessary levels of money grabbing and what dinosaurs did really well is it didn't just go the dinosaurs went extinct it went the dinosaurs went extinct and this is why mm -hmm. and then it put it in a real construct in a real construct of this like corporation that willfully and gleefully ignored you know long-term ecology in favor of short-term economics right yeah um yeah. and everyone paid the cost for it everyone yeah. paid the cost for it it's just crazy okay so I, I i was taken i was really taken away by this and i have to admit when i had assigned you the topic of dinosaurs i literally just wanted to see you squirm and i was like i wonder like what kind of like crazy ideas he's gonna come up with and i'm genuinely blown away i i really do want to reiterate listeners that like when we give each other these ideas you know each week we absolutely do not share any, I underscore any aspect of it until we get really drunk and record. And so, especially because I had never watched Dinosaurs, and I will, I definitely will, it was just like mind blowing to hear about all of these kinds of things. And it, it really does make me have a better appreciation for not only, you know, the show Dinosaurs and like Jim Henson and stuff like that, um, but, but just like the family sitcom and like, you know, the kind of um, like daytime television and stuff like that. But... I, I am going to award you, I am going to award you a PhD and I'm going to award it to you from Harvey Mudd College in California. What? Hold on. I think I deserve a little bit of a better PhD than that. You don't know how good Harvey Mudd is. I don't know, but I don't think it's good because I've never heard of it. <laughs> 
Well, I'm awarding you one from that. Okay. Well, I feel like I've been I've been kind of con. You've been amazing. You you get a PhD with um with distinctions with with honors. I don't think PhDs have honors. I don't think that's how well, PhDs work. Well, there work. are there are ones with distinction. Okay, and you get one with that. <laughs> well. Now stop complaining before I take it away. <laughs> Okay, with that in mind, mm-hmm. I now need to allocate you a title. Yes, you do. Do you have an idea? I do. Okay. What What am I going to explore next week? As you know, I've got to pick a title with E. So I'm going to give you environment. Okay. Yeah, um, I like it. I feel like it's a natural progression from this. I think it's yep. broad enough that you've got a lot I of options. I think it's very broad. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing what you come up with. All right. I'm excited. You have been listening to Living La Viva Voce. This week we've been talking about dinosaurs and uh, their role in the family sitcom era and how progressive politics plays into family sitcoms. I hope you really enjoyed listening and we'll be next week with Environment by Meg Zhang. Yeah. And don't forget, um, if you're listening to this, to um, subscribe, if you can subscribe, to check out our um, Twitter account at L-I-V-I-N, Livin Viva, or our Facebook account, Livin La Viva Voce, for more information and just fun updates. Bye. Bye.